Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another. It's been just a beautiful summer here in Wisconsin the last few weeks. And as always, Robert Craig joins us. Robert's the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Good to be here, Matt. Good. It's still summer. Ah, just beautiful. Just beautiful. State Fair starts today. We record on Thursday. A lot of county fairs going on, folks. Get out. Get out and enjoy this just beautiful time in Wisconsin. And, you know, this time of season, the fair season, it means all the candidates and the political uh, politicking at the fairs is in uh, full swing as uh, we uh, head into primary weekend, folks, next Tuesday, primary election. If you haven't yet, get out and vote. Early voting is still available in some places through, I believe, Saturday, but check in your own municipality, but make sure you get out on Tuesday and vote. We'll talk more about the elections later in the show. We'll also be joined later in the show by candidate. We're very excited about our endorsed state assembly candidate in the 10th district. Darren Madison will join us later in the show. Very excited about his campaign and we will be getting out the vote for Darren and Mandela here in Milwaukee. We'll talk more about that later. Robert. Robert, Robert, got to talk to you about what's been going on at the federal level to get the show rolling. There's a lot of news. Um, in particular, we got to talk about Ron Johnson. This guy had a just a big week, big week for Ron. Uh, Ron announced that he's open to the idea that Social Security and Medicare should be debated and discussed and their budget should be reopened every year. And Obviously, the only reason why you would do this is you would you'd be open to considering cuts. In addition, Robert, uh, all that excitement, I believe, a week ago when Ron Johnson indicated that he might be sounding like he was going to support same sex marriage. Uh, well, nope, flip flopped on that now seems to be announcing that uh, would not be supporting any kind of bill there. Uh, Robert, your thoughts it's uh, interesting. I mean, it certainly plays into what Ron's been doing, playing to the base, the Trump base, and really viewing this as an off-year election and just, I mean, cuts potentially to Social Security and Medicare. That doesn't seem like smart politics in a purple state. Robert? You don't think it's smart politics, Matt, in any state. Uh the last time they touched the third rail of American politics, it was George W. Bush in the afterglow of being reelected in 2004 on the strength of patriotism around the war on terror. And he went on tour trying to build support. He came right out of the box. It was his top agenda item in 2005. And it was it never got a vote. It never went anywhere. There was mass public resistance, including among Republicans. No one wanted to have their Social Security turned into private accounts. And we know how the Senate works. We know it has a filibuster, which Ron Johnson supports. We know that one senator can hold something up. We know it takes them forever. And you would subject Social Security and Medicare to that every for every budget cycle. Now, he says, Ron Johnson, that, well, that's what we do with the Pentagon. Yes, but that's the only bipartisan spending, unfortunately, probably for the world, in the federal budget. It's not the same thing. And since this is so unpopular, and since these are so well-established programs, one from the uh, New Deal and one from the Great Society, and we're trying to get to another great moment in progressive reform, uh, 
the only way you can explain this is, is that the man believes it. And the only other yeah. person who might that will say it publicly, I mean, there may be a couple others. I can't speak for uh, Cruz and Holly and the, and the like, uh, is Rick Scott, who, when he put out his agenda for Republicans, included five-year sunset for Medicare and Social Security. And Mitch McConnell and other mainline Republicans wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. So, Matt, what this means is Ron Johnson is not just a member of a currently extreme party. He's at the, he's at the extreme end of that party, and almost none of his Republican colleagues in the U in the U.S. Senate, a very conservative group, would even embrace this vision. Yeah, and, and Robert, look, this gets to the heart of what's wrong with Ron Johnson. We released a video this week around it. Look, this guy's a millionaire. He has doubled his wealth since taking office. He has moved very cynically tax cuts that benefit him and his uber ultra wealthy contributors. And this demonstrates a complete utter disconnect from regular people's lives. And kudos to Mandela Barnes. It's part of why we sponsored sponsored why we endorsed Mandela Barnes and are going to work extraordinarily hard. He was immediately responded very forcefully on Twitter, Twitter, called him out as a millionaire and just showed said this is this outrageous that essentially you would put other people's Social Security and Medicare that they have paid into at risk, especially in this time is just outrageous. Let, and let me, so it was I, I was happy to first hear that forceful comeback and that Mandela rightly called out, right? That's the kind of crap that comes out of the mouth of somebody who's privileged and does not understand the struggles of regular working people. And I don't care if you're on the left or on the right. That 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 goes across those issues, that, that dismissiveness. Robert, this reminds me a lot of when he basically said the ridiculous stuff around Oshkosh truck that we had enough jobs in Wisconsin. Just dumb, 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 and disconnected from regular people's lives. Let, let me put an, a, a finer point on it. The special tax cut Matt Brusky was referring to, which uh, we have a new video out uh, attacking, he carved out a provision that only helps a very small number of very wealthy people who run a certain kind of corporation, a pass-through corporation, it's sometimes called. And it, it netted because ProPublica did tremendous research and got a hold of a bunch of tax records, which aren't generally public. We know it netted Diane Hendricks and Richard Eline, two big billionaires who have put put spent huge amounts of money on Ron Johnson, 20 million in 2016, and they're putting in more right now in 2020, that it they benefited 80 million. So their investment paid back at least four to one. And the Trump tax cuts, this is a part of, because Ron Johnson threatened to vote no unless he got this. He held up the whole package. That is not subject to annual budgeting. So it's permanent for him. It benefited him as well and the billionaires. But our Medicare and Social Security has to go through Congress and whatever its nature is and whatever and its bizarre Senate procedures each and every year or your Medicare and Social Security gets cut off. And he says he's doing this in the interest in the solvency of Medicare and Social Security. The fact that they could be insolvent, that we couldn't do it, is a big lie as big as the idea that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. It's just a lie. It's just fear mongering. And we need to call it out because too many other Republicans will make that claim. Well, look, absolutely. And 
here's the thing. This this connect, by the way, first of all, we're going to put a link to the video Robert reference that we uh, put out this week in uh, the uh, podcast web section. Please share it. Get it out on your uh, socials. I can tell you, Robert, I know from looking at the metrics, it's been viewed by over 50,000 people uh, already in uh, just the metrics that uh, I've been able to see and track. So that's great, folks. Keep sharing that. It's a it's a powerful message because it speaks to one of the fundamental problems with Ron Johnson. And Robert, I want to get your thoughts on what I would suggest is the second fundamental problem that folks uh, were, should be have made fully aware this week. And that is that like your fundamental rights that you care about, <laughs> uh, Ron Johnson doesn't seem to care as much about those rights and the rights that are being potentially stripped, obviously Roe v. Wade. But Robert, there was very famous, a uh, very popular bill that's going around same-sex marriage to make sure that it is uh, the right is protected, given the worry around what was in the Supreme Court decision. Ron Johnson signaled that he uh, would support that bill. Well, this week he has flip-flopped, although he'll you know, talk, try to suggest somehow <laughs> that he didn't. But the reality is I mean, he is not going to protect your right to marriage. Uh, this is another problem of Ron Johnson's. Well, there was a lot of uh, excitement and surprise, and maybe he's in a very close race that Ron Johnson seemed to remove his opposition. I think support might be too strong a word, that he didn't see a reason he wouldn't vote for it. Um, but then apparently... We know we started hearing from the, the anti-abortion religious extremists in Wisconsin who started calling him and saying, you know, they don't believe in the advance of, of equity that most Americans believe in. And now he's flip-flopped again. So I'd almost see this as two flip-flops, right? So he's flipped twice. A full somersault. <laughs> and I guess on their side, maybe it doesn't matter as long as he's in their camp, but he has certainly reduced prospects for codifying uh, marriage equality, which is wildly popular. And it's also, there's something we can learn about marriage equality, and that is, it was thought to be a non-starter, but once we had it, uh, it became more and more popular. That's like Medicare and Social Security. That will be a lot of the agenda Republicans are holding, them up, holding up. That's why they're holding it up. But I just say as a gay man that it just, I know it's intellectually clear how horrendous Ron Johnson is. But when he tells you that you shouldn't have the, the same rights other people have and flip-flopped in that way for political purposes, you know, it shows absolute disregard for a huge percentage of, the, of, 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 of Wisconsinites and for colleagues he has in, in Congress like Tammy Baldwin and Mark Pocan. Yeah, look, it's, it's appalling because it's important whether... It just speaks to fundamental rights that people have and that he would support pulling those back is all you need to know, right? In addition to what we talked about around Social Security and Medicare, we got we to gotta head to break. But before we go, uh, one other thing I want to add to remind folks about this discussion and the power Robert talked about of Social Security and Medicare and why it's crazy that he went after this. Um those are universal systems. Everyone gets them. Everyone applies. They don't have means tests. That's why they're popular. Folks, let's remember that as guide stars as we go forward as progressives and Democrats in the world. We need more of our programs in the future to be universal, to not have means tests. We've talked about that. 
why they're wildly popular. Anyways, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Robert, need to have an update. Last week, we broke kind of around breaking news around the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and that there was going to be a breakthrough, right? That mansion had cut a deal. But we did say, what about cinema? What about Kirsten Cinema? Well, Robert, a few of those tea leaves have actually come down on uh, ink paper, I guess, or the digital, <laughs> digital print. It looks like cinema after a lot of lobbying. And let's just say it, she seems to be inclined and interested in currying favor with the uber wealthy cinema appears to uh, have come public with her demands and that would be a tax break for the rich robert tell us more about we talked you you mentioned this little tiny it's not a huge amount of the money in this package but it is the super wealthy tell us more about what Kristen cinema wants in order for her support for the latest budget reconciliation bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, the complexity of the tax code makes voters' uh, minds go blurry, and most people, not just average voters, but, uh, and there are so many different weird loopholes that have been created because of the power of the wealthy in corporations. Uh, but this is one, I can't, why you don't even have this is shocking, tells us how corrupt our system is and campaign finance, what it does. But it's a carried interest loophole that helps private equity firms and it uh, there's nothing they're doing there's no risk they're taking they just get billions of dollars hedge funds and, folks right these are the kind of people yes. that are going to benefit from this you know folks who are struggling out there right now yeah mm -hmm. and mansion to his credit is strong again, for this he he did insist at the end kirsten cinema has been against it and she uh, made reassurances to the chamber of commerce in arizona which must must maybe it's many that maybe their businesses get support from private equity funds. You see how this goes. Um, and so she may it probably would not kill the whole deal, but it makes it less popular because taxing billionaires is wildly popular and less electorally effective and makes the Democrats look compromised. But we'll see uh, where we end up on it, because obviously if they have to uh, take that out, they can still do the historic climate investments. They can still allow Medicare to negotiate over position drug prices and keep healthcare premiums from skyrocketing in the Affordable Care Act uh, and keep the, but she's also, I think a little more scarily said she has concerns about the, the minimum tax for corporations, which is a lot of the money. And we have mansions saying it has to be paid for. It really doesn't. I mean, the defense budget's not paid for, the Trump tax cuts won't pay for, but anyway, we can't pass it without paying for it and reducing the deficit, hence we have to listen to this 19th century economics from some of the conservative Democrats, but she is, here's the thing with that, um, she is claiming, well, if we tax the Amazons or the Apples, Apple claims it's an Irish corporation and does no 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 special business there just to get lower taxes and avoids major taxes. A 50% minimum would make them pay at least some of their owed taxes here in the United States. 
She says it could raise other people's taxes or cost jobs it's just as if them paying their fair share of incredibly profitable companies. If Amazon reduced jobs, they'd be costing themselves many more billions than this ta than than paying this very minimal tax would make them pay because they need workers to deliver all these goods. <laughs> yeah, look, if cinema if 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 cinema pulls <laughs> pulls the football away and we have used the Lucy Charlie Brown analogy many a times uh this last time, it, this would be it would be very catastrophic. Robert, this has huge political implications. Um, this is a very popular bill. We have there's new data out showing how wildly popular this bill is with the public. We're not surprised. Um, we'll talk more about this as it relates to the Kansas uh, uh, abortion uh, uh, vote this week. Issues, the main issues that are in play and discussed right now. Voters are with the Democrats, wildly with the Democrats. The it's it's just it's just stunning, and we need to stay focused on that. But Robert, yeah, that's uh, th this bill's popular. It's extremely popular with the public and cinema, or anyone else who would sabotage it right now. Unbelievable. And this is why we need to pick up seats. Why we need Mandela Barnes in the U.S. Senate because it damages the president and all Democrats when a couple Democrats are this corrupt because the public sees that, right? And so with the 50-50 Senate, it's catastrophic that she and Joe Manchin get to name the agenda for the entire party and to make uh, and, and to hold things up that people wildly want, like cheaper childcare, like the child tax credit that reduced uh, poverty by 40%. Uh, and uh, paid medic family leave, which every other advanced industrial country has. We don't have that because of two people, and that damages the president and everyone else in the Democratic Party, even a Bernie Sanders. And so that's why it's critical to not have to, to, to move beyond having to worry about those two votes, but we have to get this through those two votes. As far as popularity, very mainline economists, your, your Larry Summers of the world, agree this will reduce inflation. Republicans are trying to <clears throat> skate on the idea that, well, the president should be blamed for inflation being high because he's the president and the Democrats hold Congress, barely. They have no plan whatsoever. I mean, what you hear on Fox News about all the drilling that's going to reduce inflation, it's a lie. It doesn't change the, the price of a global commodity. And you know what? Saudi Arabia can just pull their supply back a little and totally offset it and keep prices exactly where they are. They're not understanding. They understand. They're counting on the public not understanding that they're lying to them about Robert, inflation and its causes. Robert, Robert, I'm going to go back to what I st started on this, and we can transition into Kansas uh, with this. But the reality for the Republicans is they have one issue, and it's voter suppression and confusion around democracy and cynicism and the idea that nothing not only nothing can happen but you can't trust the government you can't trust anything you can't trust you know that that's what they have because they don't have any issues they really don't they don't that the issue that they quote have is inflation as you said but if you don't have any solutions for it other than drill baby drill 
right? And and not taking seriously the climate genocide, which the voters get. It's 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 all these issues are pulsating underneath, and then they throw row, they throw row into the mix, and you have a state like Kansas. 61% plus vote against what the what the right wing was moving uh this is it's robert i i want your thoughts i the last time we touched in to, to back in on talking about this politically we were you know trying to keep a governor on folks expectations but kansas kind of that was an eye opener i thought there was a chance we could win but like Seriously, that that's huge. And the numbers of the amount of women who registered uh, late in Kansas are stunning Uh, (laughs) since not only when Dobbs was first leaked, but then after it was announced, just the massive voter registration of women in Kansas is stunning. Uh, uh, Robert, your thoughts. So the Republicans in classic uh, their classic style, they had this in motion and on the ballot before the Roe decision. That we'd had the Kansas Supreme Court decision, the Kansas Constitution protects women's reproductive rights. And they wanted to overturn it. And they chose the lowest turnout election they could find that mostly had Republicans in a primary ballot. And they thought that'd be time to rig their constitution in an unpopular way. Then Roe happened. I mean, Hob, the Dobbs decision happened, overturning Roe. And the question was, could you surge turnout where that is the only thing on the ballot? And this is a very red state. It only is voted for a Democrat in, in, in over half a century in 1964 for Lyndon Johnson over Barry Goldwater, uh, who did go too far uh, in terms of his, uh, his, his positions. Let's face it, they went too far with this amendment. Now, there were complexities such as, okay, you have a complicated yes and no question. Uh, you're talking about changing the Constitution. They tried voter confusion, which should have told us they were in trouble, but it didn't work. They tried to encourage people who were uh, wanted to preserve abortion rights to vote yes. Uh, and But here's the thing. We shouldn't get overexcited. It shows the power of, uh, of the Hobbes decision. But in, in other cases, abortion will not be on the ballot you have to make the translation to candidates, and that's harder. We we still do not know how well you can make that translation, and Democrats need to be careful not to overplay their hand because there are a lot of independent voters, apparently, that are worried the Democrats go exploit the issue politically. And I've seen some concern about that. In Illinois, in the primaries, among all pro-choice candidates, candidates are sending millions trying to accuse the other of being weak on, on, on abortion rights. That kind of stuff just makes it all political and makes it makes people not go and vote elections. So the Democrats need to freaking be clear what they're going to do and not be seen as over politicizing this. It's a simple fact. You need Democrats in office to protect abortion rights. That should be enough without any silly tactics. Well, folks, we got to take a break before we go, though. Congratulations to everyone in Kansas. It's just the most important thing is that you won and that those rights are protected for now. Uh, uh, there's huge. nothing There's nothing to matter with Kansas this week, Matt. And with that, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin.
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And this weekend, you can find us on the doors in Milwaukee, Eau Claire, Wausau, Green Bay. That's right, folks. GOTV weekend. Very, very, very important weekend. Maybe not as critical as it seemed a couple weeks ago, but it is still very important. There are a lot of important primaries up and down the ballot, uh, including the U.S. Senate, still a primary. Um, but we are getting out the vote uh, in all of those communities. We'll have links to where you can join us. Really want to encourage you to join us. We're going to be doing our form of canvassing, deep canvassing. We're going to be teaching y'all uh, how to have deeper conversations uh, with voters that are more than just a quick slam, bam, ID and hit the road. Um, join us in, again, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Eau Claire, and Wausau. We'll, uh, Saturday, uh, everywhere, but uh, uh, Eau Claire, where we'll be getting together at noon on Sunday. So again, check um, check the uh, podcast. We have, we'll have information and links to how you can RSVP and join us for any of those. But Rob Burt, since we last recorded his show, we thought we had big news with Alex Lazary stepping out, but uh, immediately after the recording, uh, the day after Friday morning, news broke, Sarah Godlewski dropped out of the race, uh, effectively ending this, uh, this, this election with leaving really Mandela as the only sort of major candidate who is doing anything in the polling left. Robert, any thoughts? It's a week later. I know it's been talked a lot, but any final pearls or thoughts about this? Well, it's all speculation as to each candidate's uh, decision. That is Tom Nelson, then Alex Lazary, then Sarah Godlewski after saying she was going to stay and did not. We don't know what changed those calculations. They may be different. I do think it showed that Mandela Barnes was surging. I think for for Tom Nelson, it's hard if you're the Bernie candidate to uh, withstand the Bernie endorsement of Mandela. Um, and with with I think with Alex and uh, the question, I mean, I'm just guessing here that the question was he was losing ground after spending all this money, so he had hit a kind of a cap that looked like from that the, they have better polling than we do on the inside of a well-funded campaign around 25% and Mandela had gone well into the 30s. And then Sarah Godlewski had to consider that she was 20 points down, would it really change in a head to head? And I thought they might do polling, but she came out of the race too quickly for them to have done that or for it to sort it out. Mm -hmm. So I just think that, uh, I, I do think though, that all three should be credited with a fair amount of patriotism here because by leaving the race, they have made sure that we have a strong Democrat candidate who has not been damaged by a bruising primary to take on Ron Johnson. So they're saying by their actions, I'm sure they have other reasons as well, but they're saying by their actions that the most important thing is beating Ron Johnson. All four have been saying that during the campaign. I think the three folks that dropped out uh, showed that they were, they were up to that commitment and lived up to it. Look, folks, I am... I was so excited on Friday and for one reason uh, to me progressives and our vision of who a candidate should be, how we win in elections won and won this primary uh, Mandela was, I mean, to me, the best candidate always was. And you had two candidates who spent 
between the two of them, well, over probably over $20 million and came to the conclusion they couldn't beat the most progressive candidate. I, you know, legitimately, truly progressive candidate in the field um, who was not big spending. Yes, Mandela had gone up and was probably up for about a month, I'm guessing, uh, when they stepped down, uh, but had not spent nearly what either of them had, and certainly not them combined, and neither of them could really make headway. That is a positive for us as progressives and for democracy. It speaks well that, like, in some ways, you couldn't buy people away from knowing that Mandela, that what they had seen of him as a lieutenant governor and what they had heard and what they knew about him and his values, uh, just you couldn't buy that away. That's that's really powerful. And yeah, you know, I, I agree, Robert. I'm, I'm glad that the two of them decided instead of a bloodbath because they knew they were going to have to tear him down to try to like even change that, that they chose not to do that. And that that would have looked really gross. They had already spent 20 million, you know, and so kudos to them. But really, this is mostly about Mandela and about our movement and about you all, these listeners, the voters, the folks that like when those pollsters called continually <laughs> had Mandela well in the lead. And I'm really encouraged and I'm proud of our organization that we struggled with this for over a year. So many interviews, so many conversations with staffers and uh, the forum and everything, and that we, we were able to be a part of helping coalesce and get out front and, the, you know, hopefully played some role in Bernie's endorsement. The, so I'm proud of that. The forum being the citizen action forum for our listeners. Yeah. Um, so I agree that, you know, Mandela was, spent the third most amount of money from what we can tell. But I, I want to be clear that he probably broke all primary records himself and that he had major advertising. It was not the old William Proxmire campaign of spending $25 and standing at county fairs. That's not possible anymore because of the big money campaigns and the horrendous state U.S. Supreme Court decisions. So um, I, I remember a year and a half ago, telling Tom Nelson, Amanella Barnes, I thought you might have to spend seven, eight million dollars to win the primary. And I think they both looked incredulous. I think that was true. I think Mandela was able to raise a lot of money. And that's unfortunately the only way to win when you have this problem of self-funded candidates and democratic but, primaries. And we do. I hear you. I agree with that overall system. But let me push back a little. Mandela was able to raise tons of money. And I think the average donation was like 30 some dollars and did a good job of going out and doing some of the things we talk about, which is collecting, you know, $25, 50, dollars $200 from regular working people. And, and I'm, I know he also had large donations, right? But that is a backbone. And there is a model. Bernie showed you can do this. We can't, we should not shy away from that. I do not want to run into where we think we can win campaigns with with just you know good ideas um I, there's not, nothing wrong and, and i know you don't know i know you yeah. agree with this there's nothing in fact we need to lean into trying to develop how we raise these small dollar donations to scale and i'm not saying that this campaign's the perfect example of that but that is what we have to lean into in order to battle that money but i do think it's inspiring 
he was vastly outspent and was basically not up on uh, anywhere. And in some places he never got up. Mandela never got up in some areas that in, in Western Wisconsin uh, and in other places or didn't get up at any kind of basically compared to what Alex and Sarah spent, let's get real. It was, it, I think it speaks well overall that most of the voters um, weren't swayed by that money. Look, I think progressives need to do what's necessary to win. You can't disarm um, unilaterally, and then you'll just make sure all the big money candidates win. What I'm trying to say, two different things. One is we need to realize how horrendous this big money system is and be committed to reforming it. But second, I need progressive candidates. We need them to realize you have to raise a good amount of money for it for most offices. Now, we still have great progressives that we admire, some of them national members, who insist on running and not taking that seriously. Mandela took it seriously. And so you have to you have to live work on the terrain we're in, but then you have to be committed to once you're in office, changing the terrain and opening it up so that everyone has, can run for office, which was the original intention of a, of a representative democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, folks, key point here is we have got to get out this weekend. We've got to get out and work. Got to help Mandela. And if you live in the Milwaukee area, we are we have the great fortune of having a really critical primary election that we as progressives, movement progressives, can make a massive difference in. And for a, a candidate who's absolutely fabulous, Darren Madison, we're super excited about that race. And we're going to be on the doors this weekend. Saturday, 10 o'clock. Again, the address will be uh, in the podcast um, text. Please check it out on the website. But come on out Saturday. Help us canvas. But first, we're going to take a break and take a little break here. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by said Darren Madison, uh, again, who's running in Assembly District 10, which is uh, basically Glendale, Shorewood, and parts of Milwaukee. Um, and it is formerly, uh, well, currently David Bowen's seat, but it has been a bit, shall we say, radically reconstructed. It used to be uh, a majority African-American seat. It is now not, but it is a majority minority seat. And uh, we'll be fortunate to talk with Darren Madison, our endorsed candidate in that seat, right after this break. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are happy to welcome our endorsed candidate for state assembly in the uh, District 10, Darren Madison. Darren, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be here um, in space with, with you guys, and I'm glad to have your support in this race. Oh, it was it was great to have you. And, and let's just say you're up against a, a serious opponent in Brian Kennedy, you know, we good progressive, but uh, this this wasn't very hard choice for us at Citizen Action. We thought you stood out immensely, and we'll talk more about that. But let's start by Darren. Just tell our listeners who may not know, especially if they don't even live in the Milwaukee area, about you and why this uh, why your why you chose to run and what you care deeply about uh, and what you're going to do when you get into the assembly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Again, I'm Darren Madison. 
Um, I, I was born and raised in Milwaukee. Um, I went to Reagan High School and then Howard University in DC, um, where I majored in political science and biology. Uh, but my, my, my intersection with, with organizing in, in policy advocacy started when I was nine years old. Um, I started getting in, engaged in a space called the Urban nine. Center. Yeah, nine. nine. Early. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's important to, to understand the systems in which we function under um, to be able to, to move us forward, right? And to, to reimagine how we can, uh, we can live in a just and equitable society. Um, and it was important to my parents and the people in my life that, that I knew that, right? Um, and I was engaged, engaged in the work. Um, so I started engaging in, in climate organizing when I was nine um, and then um, got engaged in, in fighting for, for my teachers um, when Act 10 happened um, and then, you know, went further and, and, you know, met a guy named David Bowen um, when he was working at Urban Underground. Um, and I started getting engaged in, in understanding politics and understanding how to win races, right? Um, and I built those, those skills over my high school career and um, started in college. I actually made a few dollars uh, being, a, being a, uh, an organizer in, um, you know, um, an organizer on, on a bunch of campaigns throughout the country, including Alaska. <laughs> um, and, you know, then that brought me back here and I ran for office last year and I ran for county board and sadly came up 12 votes short. Um, and then I, you know, took a step back, you know, started doing organizing again, working for the African-American Roundtable and fighting for, you know, a just budget in the city of Milwaukee, as well as um, a, a model of, of governance called, par, you know, called participatory budgeting. Um, and then, you know, I, I thought about it and I weighed, I weighed the, you know, the need of the moment and decided to hop in the 10th assembly race. Um, because we need bold leadership in Madison that's willing to push the boundaries as well as mobilize a new generation of voters, right? And especially at a time when folks are losing hope in the political process um, and even the leaders that represent us. Oh, Darren, that's that's beautiful. And let me just add something. I actually been out doing some doors. We were doing an independent effort and uh, was out talking to some voters in uh, your district and a couple of them talked about exactly what you just said, the loss of hope in our systems that our systems can even respond properly. And um, that voter had actually spoken to you and said they were inspired by you. And uh, so I just wanted to let you know what you just said. Actually, uh, I heard that uh, talking to voters this week and you are speaking. That was a voter in Shorewood, by the way. Uh, yeah. So, hey, uh, you 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 mentioned bold, bold, bold vision. Tell our listeners a little bit more about, you know, especially around climate. We that was that was critical for us in endorsing you. We we loved your vision around climate, in particular, how climate connects with equity and really how it's going to change our economy and your thoughts around that. Tell it. Tell our listeners more about that. Yeah, no. So there's several, um, there's several things in terms of climate justice um, that we can achieve in the state of Wisconsin, um, and that we should, right? Um, because not only our current generation depends on it, but 
you know, the future as well. Um, one huge proponent of my platform is building a green career pipeline in the state of Wisconsin um, and really ensuring, you know, that one, our, our, you know, Department of Workforce Development is working directly with the public, you know, the Department of Public Instruction to, um, to you know, build that career pipeline starting at an early age. Um, and then also working with employers to, to create new pathways um, for folks to access the training and the resources that they need to, um, to access these jobs as we, as the, you know, as the job, the job market changes, right? Um, I've been doing that work already. Um, I, you know, a year ago, um, right after I lost my, my, my last race, I started working with a few folks in what's called the Essential Skills Coalition. Um, and we brought together a series of stakeholders from elected officials to, um, to district leaders, um, school district leaders to, um, you know, to business owners and, and, and talked about, you know, how do we create a hydroponic farm in the city of Milwaukee and, we worked with folks and we got a hundred acre farms um, opened um, and they are, it's directly in the district and it employs folks from 53206 who have a living wage. Um, but we also worked with another entity called Fork Farms um, to, to develop a curriculum that directly trains young people um, as early age, early as 12 years old to, under, to understand hydroponics, to understand a system that they created called um, a flex farm, which can produce up to 361 pounds of food a month. Um, and, you know, then, you know, then as we talk about the trajectory of those young people, they've already developed the skills in coding um, and understanding these, these systems. Um, and then also uh, have access to, to the employers. So if they want to work for, for an entity like Ford Farms, um, like, I mean, 100 acre farms, or do their own thing and, and figure out their own innovations to be able to move the uh, move the bar higher as it relates to what we can do in this work. We could also um, implement policies that 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 explore um, other methods uh, of renewable energy. Um, sorry, give me one second. Um, re renewable energy and regenerative um, agriculture throughout the state, as we talk about. Um, the ability for small farms to be able to co compete with corporate farms. Um, and then we can also ensure that the training programs are there in, in our technical colleges to ensure that folks know how to be solar installers. So they know how, so that they can be able to, solar installers as well as um, other, um, other specialists to be able to, you know, access the, the jobs that they, that they, that we have that are coming in the state of Wisconsin as it relates to green energy. Um, and I know there's a huge climate package um, that you guys have been working on with Supreme Moore. Um, and I look forward to supporting that as well. So uh, thanks for joining us, Darren, and for running um, and running the way you're running. So I don't want to make you cynical even before you're elected to office, but I think you know that uh, it's not exactly gonna be Mr. Smith goes to Washington, that we need a new title. We can't say really Mr. Madison goes to Madison very easily, doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, so they have guaranteed- Robert, that's the podcast title. I now have the podcast okay. title, Madison goes to Madison. Thank you, okay. back, to, back to your question. 
apparently it will be used. Sorry, Darren. Anyway, so they have guaranteed themselves a supermajority in the state assembly, Republicans, through the state Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court and Amy, Amy Coney Barrett uh, for at least two years. And there could be a case that changes that, but that again has to go back to this Supreme U.S. Supreme Court and this state Supreme Court. Um, so you're, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to make you cynical, but you're not going to be lawmaking. Okay, they don't consider any bills uh, put forward by Democrats. So I'm wondering what kind of thinking you're doing on how you lead in the minority. What Supreme War McCunday is doing with us on the climate and economic equity package, that's an agenda setting bill. It's not designed to pass, it's designed to organize the public. It's also designed, just like the Medicare for All push in the Congress, to try to get majority support in the party because there is a divide between the moderate and progressive wings. And we want to, like in Medicare for All, we want to get almost every Democrat on it eventually. We're not there yet. They're about 109, a little less than, a, than, than half in the US Congress. Then there's whatever you can do administratively, but it's a lot harder in my experience to get a governor's office or various executive departments to work on behalf of one representative than you would think. But I'm just wondering, I'm sure you, you know, have a lot of friends who are in the legislature and have been thinking about this, uh, how you would approach leading in a guaranteed minority the, fir the first two years. And it could be guaranteed for 10 years if we can't uh, get fair districts. Yeah, so you're right, right? It's it's going to be tremendously hard to, to pass any piece of legislation um, simply because of the type, you know, the title I'll have, you know, I'll be on the Democratic side um, of the legislature. And of course, Republicans hate, hate Democrats and liberals and especially progressives. Um, and, you know, I, the huge proponent is I've done work to, to mobilize, again, mobilize re everyday residents throughout the state um, as it relates to other pieces of legislation. Um, when it came to my work with Act 185 um, and working with Youth Justice Milwaukee and a few national advocates like the Burns Institute um, and folks out of New York, we were able to, you know, do a combination of things, roadshows, um, to have conversations with even the most conservative stakeholders um, and educate them all on the, on the issues and how it directly impacts both urban and rural communities, right? Um, one of my favorite books right now is The Politics of Resentment, which talks about, right? And <laughs> nice, nice. Also reading it is right on my desk in the other room. Um, you know, talking about the the you know the dynamic between um how how Republicans inspired um urban hate um by you know by telling telling rural communities that. It's the urban communities that are creating all your problems, right? And we know to an extent, right, there, there's a, a small layer of truth in that. Um, but having real conversations about, you know, our values being being aligned um, and, and doing the work and, and talking about how we, how legislation both builds, both benefits, um, all how legislation benefits all communities um, in this state, even if it doesn't pass in its first, in its first, you know, iteration. Um, and Darren, in their, in their politics of resentment, right, they yeah. claim that rural taxpayers send money to Milwaukee, it's the other way around. So they're yeah. full of big lies that they're losing resources when they're not. They're, they're net receivers of resources. Milwaukee is net losing resources. 
Precisely. Precisely. But then you talk about the real issues that are that are occurring in, in rural communities, right? From from you know access to 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 living wage jobs, right? The same issues we're dealing with, access to living wage jobs, substance abuse, right? Um, access to quality housing, quality public education, um, and so on. Um, but really getting past the, the dynamic of political identity um, is it's the hard it's the hard conversation. And I've done it before, right? Um, and it's a lot of conversations that I've had to have all my life as it relates to my identity as a black man um, that I'll carry into, into the legislature and throughout the state of Wisconsin, um, in one of the most segregated states in the country. Um, this work has never been easy, um, especially for marginalized communities, but we do it because we know um, that there's a possible, you know, there's a pathway um, to to building a just and equitable society, and that's what I'm committed to doing. Now, well, Darren, that, I, I just that, say that. quick that I'd love to talk to you about sometime. But I would say identity. We need a different identity, one that is expansive and unifying. We can never get rid of identity. So I would say we need to change the concept of the, the kind of identity it is, one that's inviting and inclusive. But anyway, we can talk about that sometime. Absolutely, absolutely. With that, Darren. We have to wrap up this episode. We want to thank you so much for running. First of all, it's, it's uh, takes a lot to run. Uh, it takes a lot to run a competitive uh, primary and you appear to be doing that. Uh, we look forward to sending Madison to Madison. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks a billion for having me. Um, and if uh, the viewers want to look me up a little bit more, you can go to darrenmadison.com. Um, and we definitely need help. So do it, know, do it put... folks. I would, I would tell you to go, go help Darren and you should, but definitely join us also this Saturday, 10 AM in Milwaukee. We'll be out knocking doors, talking to voters, recruiting people into the movement. Join us, Darren. Thank you much folks. We got to wrap up this show. We want to thank Darren for uh, taking the time out to join us in his extremely busy primary schedule. And of course, want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the show happen every week. We'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.